From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 196 of the Killing It podcast this is carl we had a kind of like a thing at the end there so well we is the last show of the year we are winding we are down winding down <laughs> this is in honor of the winding down of the I, I am fighting a little bit of a scratchy throat so i i can do my good impression of barry white voice if uh if you want me to sing some romantic songs later i can hit that low I, I think i'm good exactly i'm fine i'm fine <laughs> But in the spirit of it coming up at the end of the year, uh, gents, have you ever had a successful New Year's resolution? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of those kinds of resolutions because I sort of redo my entire life on a regular basis. But I, I never remember at the end of the year what I started the year with. Like, I don't like write it. I should write it on December like 25th or something or 20, 30th and, and look back. But I, eh, no. I can tell you next year, and you can hold me to this, because because I'm the, I'm actually interestingly the same way. Not because I don't do, I'm, I'm, and I don't tend to focus on resolutions. I do use it as like a mile marker if I'm like going to implement something new, like from that perspective. I do a plug. I do my do predictions each year, and I do I do go back and hold myself accountable. I review the previous year's predictions. Yes, yeah, so, so I do that I on my State that. of the Nation address, and I and I count up my success rates, and I actually show like my my stats. Um, like I'm, I'm six, five and three on my 2022 ones for this year, which is pretty good, right? I mean, mean, baseball, that's pretty good hitter. Vegas, that would get you comped a nice sweep. So, you know, I'm pretty, pretty good at that. Um, but I don't, but I, but I don't tend to lean too much into resolutions. I, I, I am a person who likes the idea of a resolution and therefore I make them and then we, we have to remake them. Right. I, to answer the question, I would say it depends on the duration with which you can call it success. Because I would say uh, on the health perspective, a number of years ago was having some health challenges, had to lose a bunch of weight, get in shape, you know, change a bunch of metrics and whatever. And uh, after literally six months, got a solid high five from my doctor. And he was like, wow, dude, that was transformative. Now, the problem is that was a few years ago. So I think I, I couldn't say it permanently succeeded, but it could succeed again this year. So, you know, uh, it, I, and I will say it absolutely was the resolution format that gave me the stickiness to actually pay attention and, and, and go through. So over on the world of Relax, Focus, Succeed, I just encourage continuous incremental improvement. So, you know, have big, big, big goals, but just work it every single day. I will say on the weight loss side, uh, I've lost like 250 pounds this year. So, you know. <laughs> like the stock market. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. I bet you think working with Cisco is hard. They're big, have so much going on, and you're smaller. That's why there's Cisco Partner Journeys, an innovative new digital experience designed to accelerate your engagement with Cisco. Each unique journey leads you to the best tools, services, programs, and portfolio offerings to help you accelerate sales, build a practice, and enhance profitability. Whether you are new to Cisco or a longtime partner, Cisco has the right journey for you. Interested? Visit CiscoPartnerJourneys.com 
to find out more. Our first topic today is our first topic only because I think it is hilarious and it's perfectly in tune with the whole theme of you get what you deserve, right? So this article is about, you know, there's a there's a trend going on in the, the dark side of the uh, internet where scammers are putting up uh, strategies for how you could rip people off and they are selling these to other scammers who then don't always pay them for the the strategy that they've bought. And so the, they're publicly complaining on the the digital shadows of the internet that, you know, don't sell your schemes to this guy because he won't pay you for your services. Uh, I, I think we've now completed the internet and we can shut it off and be done and think that we've done a good job. <laughs> it's so meta. Scammers scamming scammers on scammers to scam scammers. Like, I mean, you just, you, you have so many layers to it that it is funny. I mean, you have to sort of laugh and go, this is the inevitable levels of success that they're having, that they, that they're they're Everyone's just getting jealous and looking at it, looking for the next way of shortcutting the whole process. Uh, I, you know, I, I continue to like, these are funny, but I also continue to always say like, I'm, I am impressed by how successful these criminal organizations are. And I think that that's the important detail for me to focus on is yeah this is super funny this is happening because they're really good at it well and it's all funded by you and me at the, in the end <laughs> right it, it is well and and this is the thing they're not good at it on accident it's a question of practice so they don't nobody bats a thousand as the saying goes right there's there's a million of these things distributed every single day and all we need to do is get one a day that is successful and we can more than fund a thriving enterprise the the problem here is that the batting average is actually going up right i was reading earlier this week uh, a study that was breaking down the source or the attack vector of successful cyber breaches in 2022. And what they found was that the highest percentage ever in history come from what we would refer to as the basics, right? It's simple phishing techniques. It's simple social engineering. It is ransomware emails that you should have been able to see through the scam, right? It, it's these basic fundamentals. While the industry has moved on and we've started to pay attention to, you know, the whiz bang ooh ah at the top of the pyramid, like that that one edge case that's so dynamic and so complicated that it, it takes a rocket scientist to solve the problem. And meanwhile, we left the back door open and people just came in and, and took stuff out of our fridge, right? Like that's what's happening in the world of, of these hackers. I do think, you know, the, the, again, as a twist on the old saying goes, Car karma knows where you live and, and she will come and find you when you deserve it. Because I think this is a great comeuppance for, for the bad guys in the industry. It's only going to be an escalating arms race, you know they're going to turn around and, and find that guy and go back and rescan the scammer who didn't pay the scammer for the scamming, right? Like that's always going to And happen. I think it's important for, you know, listeners who are running IT shops to know, go talk to your customers about the fact that this is basically the, the, the article talks about there's a customer service forum for Russian hackers 
who are ripped off by other Russian hackers. I mean, that, that tells you the extent to which this is a business model. And sometimes the only difference between the good guys and the bad guys is whether they're stealing the money or whether they've got a signature on a contract to, to get the money. Um, but, you know, this is big, big business. And, the, you know, the, so the, the fact that you've got a customer service forum on the dark web, is, at some level, it's funny and I can't help laugh. But at another level, you need to let your customers know that you can't ignore this. Well, respect them. They can make grandma pay you in Bitcoin, right? <laughs> I can't do that. And I don't think most help desks and most organizations can take that non-technical user and walk them through that process and have success at the end. They're, like, you know, respect. <laughs> this, is, this is, this is, a. these are, you have to respect the adversary and the organizations that they put through, because if you are dismissive of all of this, you're not understanding the whole picture. Well, and to draw together a couple of threads out there in the world, right? You know that these are tried and true, right? You know, here's my kit that includes a, a form letter and an email and, and a, and a follow-up message that you can use to scam the audience of your choice, right? Well, those are written by people who may not have English as a first language, who may not actually be good at writing, and therefore uh, we've developed methodologies and tools that are designed to identify what is highly likely to be a scam. Well, guess what? Now ChatGPT is going to eliminate a lot of that identifiability and it's going to become very fluent when it is writing these letters. I mean, again, don't, don't think for a second that they haven't already on the dark web taken ChatGPT and fed it all of these scam emails and said, could you make this sound more professional? Could you make this sound more accessible to grandma? It's, uh, the, the grammar's gonna get better and you and I thought, oh, well, I'm a smart guy. I work in the interweb. Nothing will ever get past me. Famous last words for people who wind up getting hammered. It, it's, it is the perfect implementation of where they're going to go. And by the way, you can then say, make me 100 different versions of this so that each one is customized, you know, that, that is targeted. And you could even say target it to this person, to this organization. Like it, it that's the escalation. It, it sort of feels like the, you know, the, the pirates all getting together and saying, this pirate ripped off the other pirates and, you know, we shall not have this. I mean, that's, it, it, the, it really has that flavor. Anyway, I encourage people to check out the show notes and, and read that. And by the way, just a shout out to Sophos for putting out this research publicly. Well, I'm going to move us on to topic number two. Teens are self-liberating from social media. It's a New York Times piece that got the conversation going where it's it really is about that, that uh, Gen Z group, particularly teenagers, finding spaces to go tech free, you know, going getting together and reading and talking and uh, the adoption of, you know, flip phones for some of them to to be more disconnected. Um, I, I say I, when, when we were discussing topics and this was on there, I was excited to actually see this one because I'd read this New York Times piece and uh, I start from a place of I continue to be impressed by Generation Z. Uh, I know that it's fun to, you know, make fun of them or be dismissive every time that I have interactions. They're thoughtful. They are in asking good questions. They're interested and they are actually seeing some of these trends happen earlier 
and understanding the impact of the, of it. Uh, and I looked at this and said, yeah, oh, they're having, they're learning to have very healthy relationships with their technology on their own. <laughs> and, and they are creating the spaces and recognizing that they aren't having enough of those spaces. And some of them are really embracing that. Guys, we passed this article around. What, what was your take on it? I love the line that this one person says, when I got my flip phone, everything changed immediately, right? It's like, that's pretty cool because there's too many people who are obsessed with, oh, if you don't have the iPhone, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it kind of had me this flashback to the, this an episode of Star Trek where, you know, it's like the hippies of the future are all uh, decrying the, the use of technology. Um, I think there needs to be a balance and I completely uh, cheer on these young folks who are deciding that, you know, technology has to have its place in our lives and also again uh that they're unplugging that you know there's a lot to be said about actually being a human race and interacting with other humans well and and i will say uh just as a quick observation you will note that the effective application of this lesson learned was not the result of a negative control right they did not set down their phones, disconnect from social media, and go find a, a place to get together with their friends because mom and dad said so, or because the interweb had a regulation applied to it, or because the government said that's bad content and you can't go there. Uh, tell a teenager what they cannot do and they will find a way to do it, right? But Tell them you can't escape from social media. It's all in encompassing. You are overrun. There's no way that you can have a life that's not defined by these social media platforms. And they went and found a way. Now, I'll point back to a, an additional article. A couple of months ago in The Atlantic, they published an article that was basically the gist of it was do yourself a favor and go find a third place. And what they were saying was, you know, in the world of working in the office or working from home, living at home, working at home, all of these things, we can be productive anywhere. And that's a lesson that I think is a valuable takeaway from the last few years. But our productivity will always be better when we occasionally disconnect, when we occasionally go someplace that is not purpose-bound to be the home life or be the work life, but you just go someplace else. Go to the park, go to a Starbucks, go to a place where you have an intent that is not to be connected to technology, not to be focused on work or the serious things that adults are lecturing you about this week. Give these people an opportunity to go someplace and they get better at all of the other things that they're trying to do as well. I, I just think the fascinating takeaway on this for me was we live in a world where we are trying to regulate big tech and we're trying to we're trying to stop content filtering on social media. We're we're decrying the 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 political favoritism in one direction or another. So we're trying to control social media. And that is the opposite of getting a group of teens and 20-somethings to actually do what you want them to do. They will never do it because you said they must. They'll do it because they thought it was a good idea. And that is a great lesson for the rest of us to learn from them. Well, we also need to re recognize that nobody is homogenous. You know, these stereotypes we'd like to have of Gen Z, Gen X, whatever, Correct. in the, like... 
I know lots of people who are in this generation who are just not on any social media, but they are masters of Google. So if you start saying, what's the name of that kind of fish that does this and that? Boom, they are on there, instantly on their phone. They're Googling it and they have the answer immediately and they can talk about it intelligently. But they're not addicted to social media. Um, and at the same time, a lot of our culture and a lot of our you know, financial world is driven by these different uh, kinds of fads that go on, whether it's here, there, on television, in streaming, whatever. Uh, so there's a place for everybody. I'm glad to see that these folks who are somewhat disconnected uh, have gotten their, you know, 15 minutes <laughs> in the spotlight. And by the way, I want to, so I actually, was, it's interesting, the timing on this, the, to talk about this article, I literally just interviewed a guy for Business Tech where it was about disconnection and his consulting practice around the use of technology. And the reason I've been sort of thinking about this space and more and more fascinated by it is, is I've, talk, I've, I've been talking a lot about the idea of moving more into the productivity layer. That's where all the value is. It's much, much more than installing the tool. It's about configuring it, using it, finding productive ways. But it goes even into this exact space healthy use of the technology, healthy uses of it to make people the, their best, most productive selves, of which some is not using technology, <laughs> right? right. The, you can be a user of a, of a device or a system, but if you move into the truly un, true unlocks of it, you become very powerful in using its feature. For example, I've, I've gone way deep with Apple and focus modes, right? And I'm finding that I'm getting real benefits of, yeah, I have certain days where I don't do meetings or interruptions, but I can also then configure my devices not only to advance, to, to make sure I'm not in, interrupted, but also even to do it in a way that I don't have to think about it. Like there are spots I have circled geography wise where it's I go here and you turn off, right? You stop interrupting me. Uh, and that can all be set up in a way that you can allow for that and really unlock the potential. And people need help with that. See, I think that's a terrific example of a tool used well to accomplish a beneficial outcome. The point of any of this technology that we're using should be the outcome that we are creating, right? What is the beneficial improvement in some measurable way to your life, to your business, to whatever that you can accomplish using this tool, not the tool for the sake of the tool, right? I interviewed a, a customer the other day that was involved in some of the redo of the airport technology systems back in New York at LaGuardia Airport, right? So uh, there, if, if you haven't been there yet, it's a gleaming, shining new world. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, in that rotary phones. Exactly. And it's no longer a third world country and, and an embarrassment to our nation when people come there. It, it is actually very, very nice. But you'll notice as you go through there, there's, there are no waiters in the restaurants or, or wait staff in, in the bars. It's all iPad ordering or smart, uh, smartphone application ordering, right? Like these are the ways that the technology has evolved. But what they found is that now they need more staff 
to run the restaurants than they used to because in addition to taking the orders and preparing the food, now they also have to be the IT support staff to go over to the customer and go, okay, so let's make sure you got the app downloaded correctly and let's make sure you're looking at the right tab and here's how to order it. And it used to be two people could run a counter restaurant in the airport and everything was fine. And now it takes at least three because you gotta have somebody there to teach the user how to do this. So not only did that technology not help, it measurably made them worse off. This is the way that the world needs to progress because we need to start paying attention not to what can this technology do, but what is the outcome I would get that is beneficial from having used that technology? Well, we're almost out of time, but I have to say, I'm, I've often been speculating about what the next device is because I, for one, I basically don't use the phone. So my, my phone, which I was just looking for and I don't see in front of me, so it must be in the other room. Uh, <laughs> I, I primarily use it these days because I have two-factor authentication, <laughs> right? and 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 so uh, it used to be that literally I'd I'd go for days and like it it wouldn't get used or I it would run out of juice and I wouldn't know to to charge it, and uh, so I I primarily use my phone when I'm traveling. That's when I take photos to post on Facebook or do whatever or GPS. Right. And so uh, luckily I have a charger in my car, so it's always got juice when I'm in my car. Um, but I don't need a phone as a phone anymore. So what's the next device that's just a device and it is connected and it does the things I need to do. And and it, and it can be simple. It could be the sort of flip flip phony non phone device. It will be the chip implanted in your head. I mean, I mean, Elon is also working on that. No. I'm, I'm not Elon's chip, but uh, no. <laughs> a chip no. would be fine. No. A chip would be fine. Uh, so let's move on to our third topic, guys. And, and this one, progress, is what I want to say is the headline now. Uh, for those of you longtime listeners to this program, you know that one of our root case analysis for the justification of what we were going to talk about on this show was which would be the first one to deliver us a burrito in new technology form, a robot or a drone. And we've been having an ongoing analysis of the progress in robots and drones for three years now. And we lament how slowly this technology has progressed and how it, it, I do not get burritos from a drone at, at any point in my life, right? I, I was convinced three years ago that that was on the doorstep and it was about to happen and wow, it's taken a long time. But we're linking to an article, and by the way, guys, consider the source here. Uh, the article that we're linking to does not come from a technology publication. This is a publication about supply chain dynamics, and they are highlighting the announcement from Walmart that they are now in three additional states in 22 different store locations. They have drones that will deliver you a 10-pound package for a delivery fee of $3.99, and their goal is to add three more states and three more states and roll this out. They're no longer just talking about, gee, wouldn't it be cool if drones could deliver stuff? They have a metric. There's a KPI of a million deliveries done that they are now planning towards. So, gentlemen... Are we encouraged that we're about to get a burrito or is this just more false hope? 
Well, I, I don't know their business model, but when I look at the photograph, that drone is more expensive than the more or less $4,000 drones that the, uh, uh, you know, scientists fly into volcanoes. That's an expensive drone. And it's going to have to make a lot of deliveries and a lot of sales at $3.99 delivery fee. So the question is, is this just a proof of concept or is this a technology that meh, when you actually sit down and, and pencil it out, it, it may not come to fruition because it doesn't actually have a place in the real world. I want my, I want my pizza delivered. I want all my groceries delivered in 30 minutes uh, by drone. I want to photograph the whole thing and put it on YouTube, but uh, it may not actually be practical. Yeah, see, I, I, I freely admit, because I will even let listeners in when we were talking about this, is like, okay, I see the announcement. I don't entirely understand why we're talking about this. It is an important development. I will note, for me, this has come down to, this is this is all the skepticism of hype, right? Is, oh, we're going to all have self-driving cars. Well, that didn't quite happen. Oh, we're going to all have drone deliveries. Like, I get it. This makes some sense to me. I do believe there is a concept to be had here. But until it is rolled out more than, you know, a handful of cities for experimentation, even if it's like a large scale, you know, availability, I want to see it happen more broadly before I'm willing to embrace that this is a thing. Well, but, you know, we're, we're in the churning part of the technology where it's trying to figure out does it have a place and what its place is. You know, I saw the announcement last week of the fusion technology. And my first response was, wait, we've seen this before and it turned out to be a scam. But this one might be real. So assuming this one's real, we're at the point where, okay, the clock begins ticking. How long will it be before this is actually useful in the real world? And we have to churn through that. And, you know, uh, we all know sometimes this technology exists for 10 or 20 years before it suddenly is beautiful and perfect and worked out and it makes sense everywhere. Right. So, you know, we're in that, you know, the, the, the churning process trying to figure it out. We just don't know where we are in that process. Well, and, and this is uh, the reason that I think this is a very interesting development. Uh, the, we are three individuals who live on the front side of the slope of, of, of hype in the hype cycle, right? We look at emerging technologies. We're, we're considering the dynamics of the industry and how we're going to change the world with new practical applications of technology. But for every hype cycle, there is a peak of overpromising, and then there is a trough of disillusionment before there is a logical incremental rollout of very practical use cases. And I would argue that this is the kind of information that indicates we might be at the bottom of the trough of disillusionment because everybody is now saying, well, drones didn't happen. Drones were a good idea, but they didn't happen. Kind of like back when in the days when uh, when Amazon had never even sniffed the idea of a, uh, of a profit, people used to say, you know, e-commerce, it was a good idea. I don't really think it's going to pay off that much. I just really think it was a flash in the pan, and we're all going to go back to stores, and now Jeff has all the money in the world, right? Uh, I think this 
is that kind of a turning point in the industry. We've been talking about drones, we've been promising that it could change everything, and now there is a company with sufficient resources to deploy a meaningful coverage map of very real devices. They have a price list, they have a SKU, they have physical configurations, and I would say, guys, to go as to go as hyped as possible in the trough of disillusionment here, I would argue that this is about to be the Domino's pizza, get it in 30 minutes or less or it's free, of the next generation, right? Like Domino's got famous for that 30-minute promise. Walmart's now stepping up and going, hey, guys, anything in the store, 10,000 SKUs, as long as it weighs 10 pounds or less, I'm going to bring it to your door. You don't have to leave. This is when it gets practical. So I'm just trying to be skeptical enough of the timeframes, right? Because, because it is really easy to put out a press release and say, we're launching this thing. That is not, you know, that is not necessarily any level of it. And, and, and for me, that's the, the skepticism. Because by the way, guys like us, like the three of us, the, we, we are often right. And what we're wrong about is the timeframes. Like we either get super excited and something is going to happen sooner, or we're we we saw it but we got the timeline wrong and it we thought it was going to take a long time and it didn't. Right? Like the timeline is really the variable that you have to get that is so hard to get right and is so important to think about because time you know, timing is everything. I am waiting to see actual production of this versus. Oh, this is a press release. <laughs> they said that they are going to do this. Right. Well, the okay. other thing is that that you always have to think about what's the killer app that makes it real. So, you know, the follow-up to what Ryan was saying is that, okay, so maybe this isn't the thing, right? But when you think about like the email is the is the killer app of the internet, um, I think long-range trucking is the killer app of driverless cars. I think that will happen well before anything else. Um, and you know, I would I would look at our driverless you know uh, RT systems all over the world to tell you that that's you know it can be done. Um, so so th the question is, will these drones ever make sense for grocery delivery, or is the killer app something else? And this proof of concept is just a way to say, okay, now where does it make sense? Because you can also eliminate options by trying things. See, and if you guys have ever traveled to Brazil, uh, I had an experience when I, the first time I ever went to Sao Paulo, and I learned about the phenomenon that they call motor boys. Uh, it is, it's a city of 23 million people. The traffic is unfathomable, and documents need to get across town right now, or else the economy doesn't function. And little bits and pieces need to get to the assembly plant and small form facts. So guys on mopeds literally by the tens of thousands crisscross the very dangerous streets of locked up traffic in Sao Paulo. I'm thinking this might be the motor boy of the future because I don't need to have somebody on a moped when I can just attach it to a drone and go zing. It all makes sense. Like, I, uh, please don't. Um... I am just, I'm questioning the timeline. That's and, what and, I'm questioning. And you can tell, I'm obviously and, in full hype mode. And by the way, and, and I will say the code of that by saying, and I'm expecting to be one of the last areas to get that because aerospace restrictions where I live are a thing. Well, let me just conclude the year by saying, I, I want Ryan's last words of the year to be recorded as hyped as possible 
in the trough of disillusionment. Exactly. No more need be said. <laughs> and with that cheery note, we conclude the 2022 edition of episode 196 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.